0: I spoke to a yeshivan in, in London. Yeah, you know, all British, proper British yeshivan. <laughs> and guys, you're talking about guys in third year yeshiva gadoila. Guys that are 18 and 19. And uh, I asked the Rosh Yeshivan, the Meshkiach, to leave the room so I could talk to them alone. They did That's just very improper. We don't yeah. do such things. Okay, I asked them, I, said, I saw the guys were freezing. They were frozen. I'm to say, they left yeshiva. So I asked these guys... I say, how many of you guys want to be here? Be honest with you. The the Rosh Hashiva, he's outside. He doesn't listen. There's no recording devices here. You can check me out. Out of 21 guys, one person raised his hand. And I said, you say yes, because you're afraid mommy and daddy are
1: going to find out. Okay. He says to me, you're right. Welcome back to another very special episode of Inspiration for the Nation. I'm your host, Yaakov Langer, and I am so excited for this week's episode. There's someone who's been in my life that I've known for so long, but I didn't know him personally. I knew his Tyra. I knew what he stood for because I've heard so much about him. Whether I've heard him speak in Eric Roll or just listened to his podcast or read the books that he put out, we got Leiser Brody. He is someone who's fascinating. You'll hear so much about his story. I particularly love when you, I get to talk to people that weren't observant when they were younger, and now they are, hear about their journey, what happened that made them observant. But also, this whole episode is, it's not a sheer, but it's, a con, it's kind of like a share. It's like a conversation about emuna and betachen, and how those are the keys to life. And if you have them, life is that much more l'chaimdek, which is the goal of this entire network. If you didn't check out Kosher Money, or That's an Issue, or The Spirit of a Song, or Not Your Typical Podcast with Charlene, or the other new podcast coming soon, go ahead and check it out. And if you enjoy this podcast, please rate us five stars. It would mean the world to me. Uh, hit a like on YouTube, leave a comment, or read all the comments. This episode is in memory of Shimon David ben Yaakov shleima as well as Miriam Sarah Basyakov Mosha, Dunishamalia, and get ready for something big coming from the OU. I am so excited to announce it on this podcast. So you'll hear more about that in the middle of this week's episode. We can all use some inspiration to help us overcome the obstacles we encounter in our lives. Get ready for thrilling conversations about struggle and triumph with those in pursuit of making a positive impact in this world. I'm Yaakov Langer, and you're listening to Inspiration for the Nation. Okay, today I have the pleasure of talking to Rabbi Laser Brody all the way in Ashdod. First of all, how's the weather treating you in Ashdod, Rabbi Brody?
0: Boch Hashem, Boch Hashem. I love the heat and it's hot here.
1: Okay, good, good. But you didn't grow up in Ashto, did you?
0: No, I grew up, I was born in
1: Washington, D.C. Okay, so could you tell me about your background and growing up in Washington, D.C.?
0: Okay, first of all, I was first generation American. Uh, my father came from Canada. He was a pilot in World War II. He was the only Jewish pilot in Western Canada and uh, the Royal Canadian Air Force. And his parents came to Canada from the Ukraine, and my mother came to the United States right before the right before the Holocaust. Last boat out of the Holocaust, the SS Podolia, Podolsky from uh, Poland. She came from Grodno. Then was Poland. Now it's Belarus. And uh, they made less, they, they, the last boat. They had a lottery, and they had only 500 families. She was 497 out of 500. That's uh, this we're talking about then uh, right, but a month before World War II, and it was so close that that boat on the way back to Poland from New York, the Nazis sunk it. So I see even before I was born, it's a crazy story of Hashkoha pratis of Hashem's divine direction that uh, was miraculous that my mother made it out. The whole circumstances of her making it out of there, that but. Uh, my grandmother didn't want to leave Poland because she was from a family of stolen or Hasidim. My grandfather was a Litvak. <laughs> he says, I'm going to America. And they <laughs> argued about it back and forth. And uh, finally, when my mother came home from school and the little Polish girls decided to play pincushion, and my mother was the pincushion. So she came home, 12 years old, bloody from head to toe. And that's when my zaidi Oliver Sholem, said to my grandmother, okay, you could stay here, but uh, you see what's happening. So th- th- then they all left. He had a sister in America that got him, uh, that got him the visa. And like I said, there were 497 out of 500. And the other families that were left on, uh, uh, left behind, that uh, there are Grudno ghetto Majdanek, Auschwitz, that's where it went. And, uh, in what, 11 years ago, I visited Grodno. Okay, so that's uh, my roots on my mother's side. And my father, uh, he had a double enemy in World War II. He had the Nazis on one side, and he had the anti-Semitic Canadians on the other side, and he flew this great big heavy Canadian bomber, bomber plane. Uh, it's called a Cornell bomber from the RCAF, and it's really slow and big, big bombs, and would be escorted by these little fighter planes. So he was flying the bomber, and he had the escorts, and they're all these uh, Irish and Scotch anti-Semitic Canadians. And they said they knew the Jew was flying the bomber and, and then came the Nazis, confronted them. They didn't want to have a firefight with them. And uh, so they left, they took off and left. And here my father in the slow big bomber is left with these uh, the, the fighter planes, back then propeller fighter planes, but light and quick uh, German planes. And talking about maneuvering this big thing. It was a major miracle that he got out of there alive. Major miracle. So I'd say a miracle of my father, a miracle of my mother, me coming into the world, that's also a miracle. And uh, from the time I grew up, I never felt American, always felt Jewish. And even though my parents were not religious, they are very Zionistic. Uh, Later they became very active in Israel bonds. Uh, We had, for example, one Friday night dinner, I grew up, lived in the inner city till I was nine years old. My father had a grocery store. We lived on the second floor of the grocery store. And then uh, you know the American success story. He became more affluent, and he bought a supermarket in Chevy Chase, Maryland, where all the senators and congressmen lived. And it was an exclusive thing. He was a good butcher. His father was a butcher, and so he had this exclusive supermarket and gourmet meats. And so we moved out to the suburbs. Moved out the suburbs, and we lived in the Silver Spring. The business was in Chevy Chase. And uh, even then, as it, it, but then I was in public school and. I, I didn't feel any connection so it was always I had this dream of making to israel coming to israel coming to israel and when i was young i was a very sickly kid very sickly kid i had asthma i had all kinds of different problems with my eyes i had health problems one after the other and as a little kid when i had to overcome, i was my mother was always afraid from <laughs> she said like a ghetto mentality that her kids are going to starve not have enough to eat and so for the time I was a little kid, we got stuffed like stuffed geese. And I was overweight and asthmatic and slow. And you know, for a little kid, you're always the last one to be picked up on the on the baseball team. You're the last one to be chose up. Last one yeah, to be not easy. Foot- not easy.
1: Not easy. Yeah. No.
0: And a lot of times you're left on the bench. If there's an odd number, then you're left on the bench. And uh, that was it. When I became fourteen I said what Hashem did not give me in physical ability. Everywhere I went, people were smarter than me, people were stronger than me, but Hashem gave me a gift. Hashem gave me a gift of desire, willpower, razon. Okay, so I decided when I was 14 and a half, I said, this is enough. I'm not gonna be the sucker, i not gonna let anybody be bullied around, this and that. And so I put on my sneakers and you know, what we had there, the kids, and decided to run. And I ran maybe a half a block and had an asthma attack. Okay, so I was picked up off the street and I had to, my father had to take me for adrenaline, this and that. Next day, I said we do it again. And I ran three quarters <laughs> of a block. Okay, and the same thing. And this time I get yelled at. Well, the third time I ran a block and then again and this and that. But you know he says he says, look, so either either I'm going to hit you or I'm going to kiss you. But I don't know one <laughs> thing, but this, this thing and then. It, Well, what it did was that, I just took myself down, didn't have have a coach, didn't have anything, didn't have any, it was all from the inside. And then when I was in, when I was in the, uh, I was in the 10th grade and about 15 and a half already, and I made it in the junior varsity wrestling team. And I had trimmed down and I'd become that and overcome the asthma. And uh, I was in 11th grade, 12th grade, it was varsity wrestling. So then my whole my whole dream was to make it over to Israel and I had two things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, a pioneer farmer and I wanted to be a soldier. And so I started preparing myself for that also. I went to University of Maryland and studied agriculture. I have a degree in agriculture and uh, I, did an advanced degree in agriculture products technology. The day I finished university, I was on a plane to Israel. And I went to Kibbutz Debukir. Okay, and Ben-Gurion was still alive then, and Ben-Gurion, he was on the kibbutz when I was there. Okay, then uh, went into the army, and went into the army and went a very good unit, uh, an infantry reconnaissance unit. And uh, after the army, went back to the farm later uh, went to Moshav, Moshav up in the Samaria on the old 67 border. It used to be a Nahal settlement, Miami. That's when Moshav was. I grew, I grew uh, tree fruit and I grew turkeys. <laughs> you know, so we used to have a joke, Yaakov. He's ask an Israeli turkey farmer, hey, you've been raising turkeys for 40 years, that hasn't affected your brain? He says, la, 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 la. <laughs> 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 okay. So that was, uh, it, it's amazing, you know. It, it could be. It, it could be. Just imagine that the Laser Brody could still be up on the up on the mountain growing turkeys, okay, <laughs> and raising fruit. I had a very yeah. good...
1: yeah. I'm so curious. What? Where was the shift? I mean, this is
0: all right. And uh, uh, fast forward. Uh, I'm not even gonna go through the wake up calls that Hashem gave me on the way between uh, 1971 and 1982. Between 1971 and 1982, uh, already had th- two war situations, uh, and, and then 1982 was the big wake-up call. 1982 was the first Lebanon War, and the first Lebanon War uh, was right away drafted uh, because my unit was special, spe- especially familiar with Lebanon and Syria. We operated up north, that was our area Uh, that we of expertise. And so the first six days of the war were very successful. They got bowed down on the sixth day. I was on, there were three prongs into Lebanon and I was in the eastern prong that goes according to the skirts, the Lebanon Syrian border. Okay, and I don't know if you remember uh, the three Nahal soldiers that got kidnapped, they got kidnapped, they sure. got ambushed. Sure. Zaharia Balmul and the other two. Okay, we were, they were in Sultan Yaqub. We were a kilometer south of Sultan Yaqub when they were there. Okay, they were there. That was where we had got th- that far. And this is right on the, where Syrian and Lebanon and is past the Israeli border. With Syrian Lebanon border come together, uh, there was that things started going crazy and the wars started going really crazy, uh, friendly fire. People don't realize, I, I people don't realize uh, uh if, if you've been in the Israeli army, you, if you haven't been in the Israeli army, you can't understand the element, the amount of Hashem's divine protection on Ami Israel and Eretz Israel because there's so much just like you got to there's so much garbage going on in the government the army is the same as the government you know there's slipshod there's so much slip slipshod stuff in the army I remember when I was on the way uh, on the way into Lebanon and we went to there's a base it's called a takeoff base uh, near Shmona, where you go and you jump off in Lebanon there and I was as platoon sergeant I had to check out the get, for my platoon 12 browning o3 machine guns and this would be ready packed from the from the what's called the yamach that's a yechidat machsan cherum when you have war you can't get everything your weapons already and out of 12 machine guns four worked in fact two worked i had to take apart parts from the other one to get another two to work so you go into combat instead of having on on uh on four atcs in a platoon that each one should have a machine gun on each point, point went in for one on each platoon. This is the type of slipshod stuff. But, uh, and, and Hashem protects Am Israel. But on the sixth day of the war, uh, our friendly fire, they thought this Nachal, this, this Nachal column that made up to Sultan Yaakov, they were retreating because they were Palestinian kids, 16 years old, with RPG uh, rocket launchers. And Israeli until... <laughs> wasn't up, on. they didn't realize that. And they were picking off, picking off Israeli tanks They really got beat. Not only did that get beat, so they were going south. The Air Force thought that it was a Syrian column coming south, and they strafed them. Okay. And then 46 Nahal uh, Dati guys in the tank corps, they got killed. It's crazy. And then they decided that they would take my unit from uh, Sultan Yaakov on the Syrian border And they had something special for us to do in Beirut. So they took us to Beirut. And not to go into a whole lot of detail on that, it was a crazy mission in Beirut with me and and 11 other guys from my my, my squad and platoon. And not everybody came home, and not everybody came home with the equipment, the original equipment Hashem gave them. Uh, I made it out of there. But when I made it out of there, there was no way of coming out of there. And I made a promise, said Hashem, if you're there, and I get out of here, I know nobody could get me out of here but you, and I'm gonna change my life. That's it. And wow. we're you know, men of honor. Keep it, never break your word, especially, it's not, it's not foxhole faith, they keep your word. And so when I got out of there alive, I went back to the Moshav, and the first thing I did, I remember from you know my conservative shul background, I had a conservative bar mitzvah, and uh, I made a little shul in, in Moshav Me'ami, and I got home, we had the uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. I, was, I guess it's kind of like the Baal Shem Tov story of the, the illiterate boy that came from the village and he didn't know how to David, so he's yelled Kukuriku, you know, and he's yelled like a, like a chicken. And, <laughs> and, and his, his chicken calling that made more divine uh, uh, compassion on Am Yisrael than anything else because it was from the heart. Well, I guess my davening that first year was kind of like chicken calling. It was like you know, all oh, the nigguni i from from Silver Spring, Own congregation, the conservative congregation, and that was it. But uh, then I had another miracle happen, another miracle. I thought that you know maybe I could I could be keep on being a farmer and keep on being a pioneer, and it's an important, strategic place. It's uh, then it was the only Jewish settlement right on the 67 border. It's right next to Umm al and right across from a very hostile village called Yabed on the other side of the border. And it was crazy. It was crazy. It's kind of like the, it was the Wild West back then. Uh, we used to have, really, it was like being in the army. Uh, we'd farm all day long and we do a lot of guarding at night. Uh, in fact, what made me finally leave the Moshev and go to Yerushalayim to total immersion in Torah is when I I got ripped off of a year's work. The story is in 1982, when I was drafted, I was away from home for 10 weeks. Now you take a farmer from harvest season and take him away from his farm, he's gonna lose everything. Yaakov, I never made so much money as what I did that year and I wasn't even there. And And my oldest son was 11 years old back then and he was alone with the Arab workers and it was a no-brainer They was gonna get ripped off. I don't know what happened, this and that, this neighbor helped, this neighbor helped, this neighbor helped, came home, got a boost. I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything. I was in the army the whole summer. The whole picking season, I wasn't home. Comes the next year, and here the people from the Jewish agency used to bring uh, uh, agriculture advisors and people from overseas to visit my farm because it was like a, the Horticulture Department University of Maryland my rows, you could eat between. They were not a weed between the rows of the trees. My trees were so shaped perfectly. I I, I used to uh, prune the trees like kiddush goblets. The peach trees looked like kiddush goblets. Perfectly trained and gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous orchard. Anyway, I had this variety of plum called the Golden King. And it was the only plum before Rosh Hashanah. That's really the end of the season of the, the peach and plum season, right before Rosh Hashanah. And this is the year 1983, the year after the war. And I call Nuva and Nuva, the agricultural wholesaler in Haifa. And I say, listen, I got, uh, I got three, five dunams of these plums. And I, my estimate, I get at least three tons of dunam. I've got about 15 tons of this. So the wholesaler says, lazy, you're going to make a killing. There's no plums on the market. And people want to say to Rosh Hashanah, and second day of Rosh Hashanah, a Shekhyonu, and have something to say a Shekhyonu, and there's a golden plum. Nobody ate that. Okay, so I go, it's about the day before I'm gonna pick. This is two days, three days before Rosh Hashanah. And I go out, take my M16, go in the Jeep, uh, go out to my mountain orchard, where the plum section is. It's 4.30 in the morning, and the pickers are supposed to show up at 5.30 and i'm getting everything ready get everything set up and i go and i say what like they say in hebrew by ba'inim i've got black in my eyes what do i see my fences are knocked down there are uh pickup pickup truck tracks until the fence from the fence inside there's donkey tracks and what they did uh arabs came from Janine, which is really a a hotbed. Today it's a hotbed of Hamas. It's a really hostile place. I was not left one peach on a tree for breakfast. Aye. I get ripped off the whole crop. Okay. So the year, here's the Hashka continues. I just see it, Shem's hand in my life. This is above nature. The year I should have lost my shirt, I never made so much money. The year I was going to make a killing, I didn't make a cent. Okay. <laughs> so I said, that's it, Hashem, I give up. Uh, that's it. There's nothing to do in the farm anymore. And uh, I'm kind of treading water as far as my Yiddishkeit goes. I'm going to go into Yerushalayim and total immersion Torah. So first thing I spent. Uh,
1: how old are you at this point?
0: How I was, let's see, this is 1983. I'm 34 years old.
1: Okay. And you're married with a kid.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm married. And at the time, I got three boys.
1: Wow, okay. okay, three kids. So I, I'm sure it wasn't uh, so simple just to pick up and go. It's not like you're flying solo at this point.
0: Uh, yeah, it was. Things got a little bit, a little bit crazy here, a uh, little bit crazy because my I I came from a total secular family, and my wife, this was my first wife, she came from a modern Orthodox family, and she had no problem with me when I was secular. Right okay but when I wanted to learn Torah hey what's this this is, this is crazy you can't do that leave as far I didn't marry I didn't marry a, an Avrech, I didn't marry a Kolo guy this mm-hmm. and that and so we tried back then there were not yet any Balchuvah Rabbis that could coach okay there was not I'll give you an example I'm a, a student of Rabbi Noah Weinberg mm-hmm. and my my Rav Muvhak is Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz Shem mm-hmm. bless him Okay, uh, Uri Zor was the first, the first round of Smicha guys. Come out of Torah. All right, and I come after Uri Zor. All right, so this is and Uri Zor is really the first generation of BT rabbis. Okay, wow, and that's why and so, I interviewed
1: him first, and I interviewed him like a year ago, and uh, you know now now I'm interviewing you because i long in order.
0: He's so fantastic. It did. Mad, pfft. I'm telling you this. In in one month, we lost two. Kiruv powerhouses, Ori Zohar in, in, in Israel, and Rabbi Zahir Wallerstein, in America. Right. And I was close with both of them, really close with both of them. And uh Bo Hashem it says, "I'm a team player. I play ball with everybody. Help everybody. Every Kiruv organization. Everybody. You know, it's not about. It's about. It's about Hashem. And it doesn't matter who brings an shalma closer to Hashem." whether it's uh, Jack Langer or laser Brody or whoever does it it's we're all playing on the same team you know it's, I love that. it's, it's a Shems victory It's a Shem's victory and that's it and that's why uh, you know it, it's a no-brainer if somebody wants help from me you can do it that so when I go out to jump we'll, we'll go on that uh, next slide, but like uh, I cooperate with everybody it was or torch in in Houston lighthouse in Miami uh, Hazak in New York uh, Chazak in L.A. All the Kehuv organizations around America. That uh, all they know, you know. What that's the old song, uh, Carol, You just call my name, <laughs> and you know wherever I am. Okay, I'll come running. That's it. That that that's our that's our our, our game plan for, for bringing a Mashiach. Is it bringing Hashem is as lost as lost kids, bezat Hashem. Okay, so that the marriage did not last. Marriage did not last, so I ended up on my own studying Torah in Yerushalayim until I met my present wife. This is already, we've been married for 33 years, and my present wife is an amazing woman, amazing woman, Yudit. She was also a miracle. Uh, She's Israeli. She's from a Sephardi family. She was a tank sergeant in the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Wow. Okay. And when she was in the when the war broke out, the army realized they had made a mistake. She shouldn't have been there because she were her, she was her parents' only child. Mm. So on the seventh day of the war they flew her back from Sinai and they didn't have plans. She came back to to Israel on a C one thirty in a Hercules full of body bags, guys that got killed in Sinai. This is what what she went through. Anyway, she is a wonderful woman. She's also chuva She came up in a secular family and uh, we had a. We could see that uh, Hashem was saving us for each other. Okay, she, she got married a little bit late in life because uh, her parents were were not healthy, and she was taking care of her parents. And Hashem, and meanwhile I was going on my path to Hashem finally got us together. Unbelievable, Hashkem Pratis, and uh, with that we have a, a, a daughter and Bore uh, Hashem. Boch Hashem, plenty of grandchildren, kind of And uh, my sons are all over the place. My daughter lives a block and a half away. <laughs> and that's Boch So that's a, a little bit about my personal life. So I went through Asher uh, Torah, and I got my rabbinical organization from Rav Noach Weinberg, and then continued studying. And I got also from uh, uh, Diane Kulitz, the head rabbi of Yerushalayim, and uh, in Kopshitz and Rabbi Zalman helped me at Goldberg, and it's amazing. When Rabbi Kulitz tested me, he asked me about my background, and I said, "You know, what were your grandparents' last names?" I told him my my grandmother's maiden name Podrub, and he says, "Are you related to Arye Leib Podrub?" And I said, was well, that was my grandmother's uncle. That was her father's brother. my great uncle." He said, "I don't believe it." I said, "Why?" Well, He said, because Rav Kulitz's father was the head rabbi in a Lithuanian town of marriage after my great uncle was, and he was a student of my great uncle. And he says, they wanted to tell him, my father took over when your great uncle died and your great uncle gave my father ordination and look how it turns around and here I am in Yushalayim and I'm giving you ordination. Okay, it's, it's, yeah.
1: it's amazing, it's amazing. That was Rabbi Kulitz, Rabbi Yitzchak Kulitz. We'll be right back to this week's episode, but first, let me tell you about the revolution that the OU is starting. They've, I think, started a lot of revolutions, but particularly, I'm very excited about this project. So, when you're in yeshiva and you're going through LL, you feel it, it's in the ear, it's on everyone's mind, you're always striving to do better, to be better. But let's say like me, you leave yeshiva, you go into the work world, or you leave seminary and you are in college, or you become a mother, a father, whatever it is. Ell, unfortunately, it's so easy to, to not be able to tap into the magic powers of Ell. Here comes Bihimatsai, where you can look at the show the link in the show notes. It's outora.org/slash tafila. The OU is enabling you to be able to tap into LL and to improve your tzvila This whole episode is about Amunim and Betachen and we're better to start than focusing on your tzvila and how you talk to and connect with Hashem. So you could go there, you could see there's tons of Sherem and tons of stories and, and they keep on adding on more and more every day. I've already consumed a few of them and they've gotten tons of the best speakers, the, the types of people that you like hearing on this podcast, me interview, and they got them. And they talk about either it's talking about a way that you could connect to Tfila more or even they, they have some of their personal stories, their experiences of, of how Tfila has helped them and helped them grow. And and you could check it out. It's a wide range. It's Rabbi Lapiansky, Rabbi Hauer, Lori Plotnik, and so much more. Just check it out. And it's for men and women for who it's really for whoever wants to grow this time of el is such a tremendous opportunity to really get into Hashanah yom kippur don't be like the people that just they they rush into Hashanah yom kippur and they're like wow this actually came and what did i do to improve hashem uh nothing really it's really easy whether you have five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes or longer to tap into make your tefillah better who doesn't want better tefillah the answer is Everyone Wants Better tsvila. I Want Better tsvila. and check it out, it's easy, It's you can watch, you can listen, whatever's easiest or best for you, so go ahead and go to outora.org slash and you can easily access the link in our show notes, and this is your opportunity to have a better LL. And if you're not listening to this during LL, still check it out. By the way, I'm sure if people who listen to five months they'll be like, whatever it is, like an adar. Tvila is so important, and you'll hear more about in this episode why it's so important. So I I know I'm making this push for now when you're listening, but during LL when it's released. But I think you should always go ahead and check it out. So go ahead, and now back to this week's episode. You know, it's interesting. It's everything you've said so far about your life and your story is, is very much this idea of Hashkacha Pratis and I would think someone thinking is like oh, okay Rabbi Laser Brody's life has a lot of Hashkacha Pratis would you say that everyone has this crazy Hashkacha Pratis in their life and they're just maybe not seeing it
0: no doubt about it no doubt about it okay if we turn it around and I'm going to interview you Yaakov okay turn around and, and get the the and I'm going to agree in the details
1: because whatever
0: I do, I look for Hashem's hand. And I say, you see what Hashem did here? And you see what Hashem did there? And you see what Hashem did there? And you could say, you know, so many things in your life happen. Things that you planned, they didn't happen. Things that you didn't plan, they did happen. Things that you thought you were going to be successful, you weren't successful. Things that you thought you'd be a flop, you became a super success in. All things, yes, everyone. Because it's all, we're all products of Hashgachah Pratis. It's just a matter of us opening up our eyes and seeing and that's what we call spiritual awareness. Dot. That, that's spiritual awareness. That, that's a a, coin I, I, a term I coined in Trail to Tranquility because there's so many. You know, English is a very uh, material language. Yiddish mm-hmm. is a very spiritual language, and there's mm-hmm. things that we say, and and the language, Hakodesh, the, the, the language, the holy language, the holy tongue, that defy translations. We really have to have to imitate, uh, make up terms. I'll give you an example. We talk about hashkocha pratis. They translate in English divine providence. Well, I don't like the term divine providence because it's very much, uh, you know, Martin Luther and the, the you know, Christian ministers did that. So I sat down with the Meletzer Rebbe, my Rebbe, uh, and Meletzer Rebbe knows English well because he was born in London, and he grew up in New York till he was bar mitzvah, and he came to Eretz World. And I said, "What? How can we? How can we translate hashgacha Pratis in English?" And then saw the first Rambam, the first Rambam, the first of thirteen principles is Hashem Boira umanhig. Hashem is Creator and Director. So, if Hashem is Creator and Director, then everything He does is Divine Direction, and that's why my book about hashgacha Pratis is called Divine Direction. And that's really something I, I refer to Divine Providence as Divine Direction. Okay, but even. Can everybody say Hashkoha Pratis? That's why I almost never say faith. Faith is like kissing a bride through her veil. Okay. To say Amuna. <laughs> emuna. Yeah, it's much Emuna is more than faith, it's your own personal connection with Shem. And the more you have this emuna, the more you have the spiritual awareness, the more you feel Hashem's hand in your life. Okay? And so to continue on what we we're talking about, i uh, got more ordination. Uh Reb Noach wanted to send me back to America. I said, Rosh Hashiva, usually when you say something, uh, you say laser jump, I say, how high? But this I can't do, I can't do. I can't go, can't leave Israel. I got too much blood, sweat, and tears, and the army, and a couple of wars, and the soil of Eretz Yisrael. I cannot leave Eretz Yisrael. He says, okay, then do something in the defense, defenses, go back in the defenses as as, uh, the rabbi. All right, so I did two things uh i left my combat unit and became a military chaplain that was on reserves and my first post as a rav i was a rav in a prison ramla prison went into the prison system and i made this plan for spiritual rehabilitation there's an expression by rabbi levi atzhok of berdichev that he says if you've got a thousand russian cops they're not going to stop smuggling whiskey from poland to russia but you don't need a single cup to keep a million Jews not from eating Homets on Pesach, okay? Mm. So when you teach a prisoner that he's doing something that Hashem doesn't want him to do, and you get him to believe in Hashem, that's rehab. And even though in the army they're not crazy about rabbis, the police are not crazy about rabbis, the warden of the prison, he cares about two things. He gets his uh, jollies when he's got the lowest return rate. When guys leave prison, they don't come back. In other words, the warden who has the lowest return rate, he's got the highest rehab rate and that way he gets promoted. He gets a good name, number one. And number two, when what's it called in Hebrew, Sheket industrial quiet behind the bars. When there's, you know, no riots and no stuff like that. When his prison is quiet and he's got a high rehab rate. Okay, so I was delivering the goods to him. So he loved me. But then uh, when my warden but uh, it, he it was really i didn't realize the politics that going on behind bars and my warden got busted for some kind of bribe or something like that and when he got busted all of a sudden they had this high brass against me because they considered that i was you know one of his one of his guys you know mm. really
1: clicky one of his henchmen that. yeah
0: right one of one of the henchmen i said no way i didn't even know what's going on i was very naive very naive What's going on there? Because I came from a, a unit in the army that was very ideological. Guys were ideological. You know, you know all this garbage going on, and it was good. So that only lasted for two and a half years, but that was fine. And then after two and a half years, uh, there was I was at home, and I was started writing my first Hebrew book. I've got two books in Hebrew. One is uh, Nafshitidom. It's all about verbal abuse. Everything about verbal abuse in the Gomorrah. And in the uh, Zohar, that's the most popular Hebrew book. And then I've got a book Pia Be'er. It's a commentary on Hamisha Shei, on Five balls. Okay, I, started, I was writing Pia Be'er, and I was teaching a little class in Likute Moran. I was at learning Rabbi Nachman, and had a couple of guys in the class that uh, had learned in Chutz Shalchesed in Jerusalem, Rabbi Shalom yeshiva, and they told Reb Shalom about me, and we got together and we had a a good connection. And he decided that he wanted to open up a rabbinical koilo for bali shuvas in Ashdod on the same way that Rabbi Noach did. And he wanted me Mm. to do that. Okay, so we started a rabbinical koilo for for BTs, Sephardi BTs mostly in Ashdod. And the koilo was fantastic. The guys were fantastic. Uh, They had great ruchnias, but the gashmias didn't get paid much. But the guys yeah. were willing to do it because they, they were getting them tested by the Melitzareb getting them tested at the Ada Haredes. And, it, you know, they had good inroads and good connections with Rabonim. And uh, when F- Lapide's father came into power, Tommy Lapide, the first thing he did was busted the Koilos. He decided, you know, you have to have all these criteria and so many, uh, so, all these criteria and we, we couldn't. Yeah, my Koilos, and a lot of other small koilim just fizzed away. Okay, so when the koilim fizzed away, uh, Rav Shalom said, uh, "You know, something I've been, started writing a book. I wrote one book and I'm writing another book. His first book was about Shalom Bayis. His second book was the Garden Amuna, and he says uh, I'd really like to translate this in English. So to start off. I did the Hebrew. I did the Hebrew proofreading to the original Garden Amuna. You can see in the original Garden Amuna." It gives an accreditation to Rabbi Yeshua Cohen and to Rav Eliezer Full Brody. That's Laser, okay? The, the proofreading. So then I was did you stop Rosh Quayle? after he says well, why don't why don't we translate this to English? And I'll be honest with you, Rav, I haven't spoken English for 25 years. <laughs> I've been to Israel. The, the 1970. This already 1970. I've been in Israel and total immersion. You know, army, moshav, boom, boom, boom. I, I don't speak English. My parents used to be angry at me, Alva Sholem, to not talk in English to the kids because I don't, I don't care about teaching the kids English. You know, what do I need to, for them to learn American culture for? Okay. Right. At the end. So it was a very, very Eretz Yisroh. Anyhow, so Rav Sholem says, well, no, I need to translate. So I went to the, I went to a couple of Rebbeim. I went to the Belzerov and went to the big Kabbalist, Rabbi Nehau Shmueli, and to Rabbi Moshe Haber-Shtam, who was very, he took me under his wing, Rabbi Moshe because I got close to him, he was the first cousin of the Melitzar and the military sent me to him, and he was the first one to give uh, approbations to my books. He was a what Dayan of the Eidah Haredes, a very big poisek, Rabbi Moshe HaAberstam. And I asked him for a bracha, I said I need to do uh, translating in Kiruv, <coughs> and so I need my English back. So they gave me a bracha, they get my English back, and boom, that was it, that was it. So we started making the CDs, uh, translating Rav Shalom's books and his CDs, and the CDs took off, they became very popular. And Garden of Amuna took off, it became very popular in English. In English it was, I, I think it's close, I don't know if it hit two million, but uh, it was definitely past a million and a half copies. Okay, uh, I don't know exactly the statistics. But it came; it came very, very popular, and I was with Rav shalom for until then. I became uh, the English editor of the website. And it's called the Breslev Israel website, and uh, that was for about let's see, 19, 19, 19 That was that that was 19, so That was about thirteen years. That was about thirteen years, and then it came to a point in time where. I was just working myself like crazy. I had a, a a little health crisis. Health crisis, I got AFib. And I had AFib. It's really an athlete's version of AFib because uh another thing in a part of my life that I do since as a, a rabbi people were asking me about for physical advice, bodily advice. And you know body and soul go together. Mm-hmm. And and since as an agricultural graduate, graduate, I learned a lot about nutrition and a lot of the same courses that people learn in nutrition and this and that and anatomy, physiology, even though I learned animal anatomy, physiology. I went back, learned anatomy and physiology, did some online courses, and I got accredited as a personal fitness trainer, as a health trainer, and and got accreditation holistic nutrition. And so became Rabbi fitness Trader because all the years I've always stayed in good shape. Always stay in good shape.
1: Could, could you give an example of how spiritual spirituality and the body are intertwined? Oh, for certain. Oh, for certain. I'll give you an example. Uh,
0: I see a guy that's smoking. A guy that's smoking. Wait a second. That's uh, you've got a, a a major problem here. Hashem gave you these beautiful lungs. Why did Hashem give you these beautiful lungs? Not for you to enjoy some of the physical amenity. He kept so, so he could breathe. He could breathe. Like the Gemara says. With every breath, you should be praising Hashem's name. So it's like a ma'ila. It's like a misuse of kot Your body is, is holiness. Your body's meant to serve Hashem. Now, the Rambam, he's got two whole chapters. In olden day, it's about what to do about your body, how to eat properly, and how to exercise properly. How come people ignore that? How come people ignore that? They see the body, even though oh yeah, I got a muna. You got a muna. Then how come you think the body is yours? The body is not yours. The body is something Shem gives you. I'll give you an example. Uh, when people you talk about uh, the worst yichsor okay, that men have with the eyes and you know the whole, the the whole thing. When you teach a guy with the muna? Hey, listen every part of your body like Sefer Haredim explains the mitzvahs you do with every part of your body okay so Shem gave us a bodily apparatus for two mitzvahs one for marital gratification the second for procreation okay so Shem real you realize that okay this is to to keep a happy marriage and to make a, a next generation it's not something you know to go out and have fun and games with and this is what the whole thing People don't realize it. this is something I'm about to say very uh, not political politically correct. But you take all these movements—the ABC movement, the LBG movement, the YK movement—all this movement—it glorifies uh, bodily indulgence. Well, there's no ideology in that; it's just bodily indulgence. It, it's uh, the person is saying that he or she wants to do. What gives them gratification? What gives them jollies? Whether it's permissible or not permissible, no. We say, no, 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 no. We live our lives as believing Yidin. We live our lives according to Torah. Not only is believing Yidden. Take that somebody, in my, in my classes, in my lectures, in my books, at least 35% Noahides, at least 35% not Jews. Because the first Noahide mitzvah is a munah. All right, And a, a, a non-Jew has to have a munah just like a Jew does because it's got the same creator, same father in heaven. all right. Even that, that, that that's also, uh, you talk about personal holiness, that's also one of the Noahide mitzvahs. They're not allowed to engage in adultery and, and, and all, all this type of silly thing. And I think you, you don't use your body to hurt other people. You don't use your body to kill other people. And for example, a guy comes to me and he says, Rabbi Lazar, I want a blessing. So what do you need a blessing for? He says, I'm an MMA guy, and I'm going in a professional, and I want you to give me a blessing that I should succeed, I should win, I should make money. I said, wait a second. Uh, by you making money, you got to make another guy bleed. And if not, he's going to make you bleed. That's not what Hashem wants you to do with your money. Oh, but you get to see. So he's trying to convince me that basketball is more dangerous than MMA. He says, What <laughs> what my guy's going to do. He says, you ever seen a guy in a basketball court and getting a rebound and getting a no, an elbow in his nose and breaking his nose and all types. He's trying to convince me. I said, No, no, no. That's a. I'm sorry, I can't give you a blessing for that because that is not what your body is out for. Okay, if you want to be a physical trainer, you know something? I'll give you a blessing that uh, you teach self defense to little kids in New York and L.A. and Washington D.C. and Philadelphia. Yeah, this you got my blessing. You do that and teach kids how to defend themselves. That's a tremendous mitzvah. Okay. But to go into the ring and to maim somebody, and and to make a money for it—that's not. Another guy asked me for a blessing. Uh, he's a professional gambler. Okay, he's in in in, in Vegas. A professional gambler. So wait, you know somebody—you're making money, but somebody's losing the money. You're making money that somebody's losing. You're betting on that roulette wheel. Somebody's losing that money, and and that's you're not going away for making happy. For example, if. Yaakov, suppose you have a shoe store, and I come in to buy a pair of shoes, and you give me a pair of shoes that fits great, and this and that, and you know, I could, I feel great. I pay you the price you ask for. You're happy, I'm happy, okay? You can make a living where both, uh, everybody's happy. This is the type of thing we have to do, and this is the type of body and soul. We do things where, where body and soul are both doing what they're supposed to do. And when body and soul are in sync then a person has inner peace, a person's happy, you feel uh, fulfilled, you feel whole about what you're doing, you, you, you put your head, your head on the pillow at night, and by the time you count to 10, you're out. That's it. <laughs> and, and that's, uh, for example, body and soul. It's all the time. And like so many ailments of body are connected to soul. And they see that by learning Haredium, and see all types of problems that people have. Uh, they're connected, spiritually connected.
1: So I I know that, that you speak a lot about Amuna and also about Betachon. Do you do you think enough people are are Jews or even non Jews are going through their life with enough Betachon? And if they're not, what what advice would you have for them?
0: Okay. That is a great question. I'm very glad you answered that. That's question number one. Okay. Okay. Good. Your question number one is what every educator and every Beis Yaakov and every yeshiv and every cheder should begin asking himself. Okay, if you would ask me what number one problem in the Jewish world today, particularly the observant Jewish world, I would say it's the the off-the-derach kids. Now, people blame technology and they blame this and they blame that. They blame all different types of things. Uh, Again, if you have a munna you're going to use technology properly. Because you don't know, Hashem doesn't want, you, you, you don't need a cop to keep you from eating comments on Pesach. So you're not going to need a cop to keep you from seeing a forbidden website. All right, so you tempt kids. The, my, my view of the problem is that in the yeshivas, in the cheders, in the Beis they don't teach Emunah. Girls learn Novi by heart. Guys learn tractates of Gomorrah by heart. Kids have to learn Mishnayis by heart. Hey, kids, why are you doing it? Oh, because the Rebbe said so. Kids aren't always happy, and sometimes it's hellfire and brimstone kite Forget it. That doesn't work in the 21st century because the kids see, they look out in the street, and they see that uh, people are having a good time. And how come they're not having a good time? That their Rebbe is yelling, yelling at them and the teacher's yelling at them, they got that. Or if her, her hemline is is not exactly where it should be. If she's got a muna, you're not going to have a problem with her lying not with her sleeves. But the whole thing, she wants to be like the girl out in the street because she doesn't have a muna. She doesn't realize where it is. Now, if she realized that Hashem is right there with her, and if she realized that by her not being dressed properly, she's already knocking down her shidduch, she's going to get that shidduch anyway. But young lady, if you get stronger in a muna, your zivog is going to be stronger in a muna. But if you get weak and you go out in the street, then... Uh, your Zivuk is going to close his gemara. He's going to be out in the street too. You're going to get him, okay? But what do you want? You want a guy whose head is loftier? You want to be a guy that's got uh, his, his his eyeballs are like a tank turrets, going from side to side all the time, okay? This is the thing. Emuna, emuna, emuna. When emuna, uh, kids know what they're doing. We know why you are keeping shabbos know why we're eating kosher. We know why we're dressing properly and got a smile on our face. And is a smile on their face. Because what's a Muna say? A is not a Shem. going to hit you with a bolt of lightning. Like parents said, You've got to do this. I hate the word from. Okay, Yaakov, I got a challenge for you. I want you to
1: say the word from and smile. Let's see if you could do it. Okay, I will try this. <laughs> I think I could do it, but I don't know how real. My... Okay, from. <laughs> yeah, from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm acting Can't a little, do so I don't know. Yeah. Okay,
0: but that's, it's not about being from. It's about having a Muna. Okay, Hashem right. doesn't need from kite. When you have a Muna, when you have a muna, for example, you see kids davening. And they're finished in 75 seconds. Okay, 75 seconds, <laughs> a guy that wants a new you feel, you're talking to Hashem. Hashem is right there before you. You're not even passed over from Yitzhak and Yaakov. Okay, and here, they're finished. Why? Because they don't feel
1: anything. So, so feel what anything. advice, someone, I'm sure there's someone listening to this and they're like, I have, not even, I have a 30-second Shimon S. Ray. What, what could they be doing to say, okay, now I care more or believe more that I'm actually talking to someone that could actually make a difference? What could they do?
0: Okay, first of all, I'll give you a little example. Uh, I don't know if Joe Biden can help you. He's president of the United States. Okay, right. But when Joe Biden was talking, I'll tell you about it, and he fell asleep. Okay. Uh, so Naftali but the, the daddy was prime minister here so maybe if Joe Biden is going to talk to Jack Lenker who's saying he's not going to talk, fall asleep either okay what well, do you get on the next the next show you get Joe Biden alright uh, you ought to hire somebody not a photographer send somebody to sit next to him and to prod him with a needle so he doesn't fall asleep in the middle of your program right
1: okay I hope, I hope that wouldn't okay. happen I'm telling
0: yeah. you say interviewer that would dry you up <laughs> you got the guy interviewing him. <laughs> falling asleep uh, yeah, Joe wake tough. up okay so we see uh, Joe can't help himself much much less help Yaakov or help anybody else okay so we see but even so even so uh, Jack Lanker gets a letter from the White House hey we really like your podcast you're doing great things you are invited we decide to pick a leading podcaster and you are invited to the White House to interview the president wow okay you're not going to be you're, you're hamish and casual sitting with laser like uh, laser's younger brother and we you know we're sitting like the uh, first time we ever talked and it's like we've known each other for years <laughs> you're going to be rehearsing you're rehearsing in front of a mirror uh, president of the united states you know, i don't know how you're going to go to washington if you're going to drive fly or everything but you're going to be over and over in your head when we ask you to write it down rehearse it you're going to go through i mean see, he can't help himself So we think we're talking to Melech, Malche, Amlochim Akadish Bochu. We're talking to the King of Kings HaKadosh Bochu. And whenever we want, well, this is called Hidbonenut, observing. And we're about to enter the three weeks on the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av, Yeshaya the prophet, he yells at us. What does he yell at us? Oh no, guys, you didn't do bloodshed, you didn't do illicit sex, and you didn't bow down to idols. These are three biggies that we're not supposed to do. He says, you didn't open your eyes. You didn't observe. You don't know what a bull knows, a bull knows he's eaten out of his, his, his master's trough, and a donkey knows, a donkey knows the hand that's feeding him, his master, and Am Yisrael doesn't know Hashem. Okay, what's it mean Am Yisrael doesn't know Hashem? You share the Prophets Davi and all of us that do the, the 30 and the 60 second omitas. Get to know Hashem. How do you get to know Hashem? That's my definition of emuna. Emuna is not faith. Emuna is your own personal relationship with Hashem. And that's King David, David Melech, he had more emuna than anybody in history, except maybe Avraham Avinu. King David said, Kol mitzvah secha emuna." He says, all your mitzvahs are emuna, because he was talked to Hashem all the time. King David talked to Hashem. He's only Hashem. Can you imagine a bar mitzvah boy? He's got to fight this guy, we talked about MMA before, Got this guy, 12 feet tall, whose shoulders start in Borough Park and they end up in Passaic, New Jersey. that That's how <clears throat> big the guy is. And, and, and just, he roars, and the whole Elah Valley shakes. 12 year old kid, 12 and a half year old kid have a heart attack. Not David Melech. He says, you blaspheme Hashem? He says, you may be big and mighty, but you're gonna go down. You're going down. And he says, I'm not gonna do it. Hashem Tzvokot, he's gonna do it. He was so with Hashem, and so nothing fazed him at all. Nothing fazed him at all. This is what King David says in the most popular Psalm of history, Psalm 23, lo Although I walk in the valley of death, I shall not fear because you are with me. He felt that Hashem is with you. This is what he is, and you stop and think for a minute, Hashem is with me. Hashem is with me. Wow. Now you go daven. That's the warm-up. Okay, if you come to Lazer's office, half the office is a is, is workout. we got kettlebells in the other side of the office. <laughs> I'm not going I'm, I'm to let you swing kettlebells until we warm up. I'm not going to let you pull a muscle. Do it safely. Just as we have to warm the body up, we have to warm the neshama up. We don't go into davening cold. It's like you don't go on the bench and run out in the field. See, what the, all the time, uh, these bullpen pitchers... They're pitching tons of innings, tons of innings, because if they get called up, they gotta be warmed up already. You know, the pitcher gets they, they two home runs on him, they're gonna pull him out and they got to put a bullpen, pull a pitcher out of the bullpen, he's gotta be warmed up. We've gotta be warmed up, we've gotta be warmed up, gotta be, got be warmed up to serve Hashem. What warms us up? Muna warms our heart, warms our neshomas. Emuna lets us feel Hashem. Now how do we get Muna? Get muna by talking to Hashem in our own language. And people think this is breast liver shtick. It's not breast liver shtick. I'm not a breast liver chassid, I'm a melitzer chassid. Melitz is a, the great grandson of the Baal It's very similar, the, the Baal but my Rebbe, a Melitzer Rebbe. Uh, it's all over. Noah Mele Melech writes about talking to Hashem. Rabbi Nachman, of course, he writes tons about talking to Hashem. And the Litvish, the Litvish form, Yisod V'shoor Sheavodah, Alexander Zistin from Grodno, He's got a whole chapter about talking to Hashem. Go to the Rishonim. Talk to Hashem. Talk to Hashem. Talk to Hashem. Because how do we have, how do we get to know each other? Suppose a husband and wife are having a difficulty, a parent and a child, an employer, and employee, and they go to a relationship specialist, relationship therapist. The first thing that relationship therapist asks is how's communication? Right. How's communication? Okay. So our relationship with Hashem is based on communication. That's a munah. That, that's why I call a munah our personal relationship with Shem. And uh, when you have, it's a whole different thing With you learn Torah. Right, or For a guy who goes to yeshiva, a girl that goes to Beis Yaakov, and they have a munah. So a guy, I spoke to a yeshiva in, in London. Yeah, you know, all British, proper British yeshiva. <laughs> and guys, you're talking about guys in third year yeshiva gedoele. Guys that are 18 and 19, and uh, I asked the Rosh Hashivah and the mashgiach to leave the room so I could talk to them alone. They did, that's just very improper. We don't yeah. do such things. Okay, I asked them, I said, I saw the guys were freezing. They were frozen. Like I I to say, they left the shiva. So I asked these guys, I said, how many of you guys want to be here? Be honest with you, that the Rosh Shiva, he's outside, he doesn't listen. There's no recording devices here. You can check me out. Out of 21 guys, one person raised his hand. And I said, you say yes because you're afraid mommy and daddy are going to find out. Okay. He says to me, you're right. <laughs> okay. So I so good. That's good. I One thing I great. you guys are honest. Now we can talk. Hamish, hey, what do you want to be? So one guy says, why can't I be an Oxford lawyer with a big Rolls Royce and a nice blonde sitting on the, on the left side? They, they drive on the right side. They're sitting on the left side. Okay. Yeah. And another guy says, why can't, I play for the Red Devils of Manchester City. Why can't I play football? Okay. The, the football in, in British, that's soccer, what we call right, soccer. Yeah. yeah. They, what, we, what we call football is American football. The, the whole the rest of the world, like in, in South America, football. That, that's that soccer. What do we call soccer? We're the only ones that say soccer. Well, because then there's all the thing. In other words, they all idolized the Goyim. Nobody thought that learning Torah was cool. And it turned out that they never ever learned Emuna. And I'm talking about one of the best Litfish yeshivas in London. That
1: so is. it's so interesting. Why why is there such a lack of teaching of emuna? It's not just a, not just in the place you went, and I'm sure you see this all the time, that it's missing from so many homes, it's missing from so many yeshivas. If it's so vital, it's so core to being Successful as a as a as a yid as a person, why is that missing? I'm
0: gonna say something very unpopular now. Okay, uh, Yaakov, why don't you teach a course in anthropology?
1: Why don't you never I? You, right. Yeah. You never learned I anthropology. I don't okay. know anything about it. Uh,
0: the teachers never learned Amuna from their teachers.
1: It, but it, it's got to be at some point that it, it stopped being, I guess, passed down in some way, no? I'm sure Moshe Rabbeinu taught everyone about Amunah, no?
0: Yeah, but uh, it's an academic thing. It's not mm-hmm. a practical thing. How, okay, how do you do... Okay, everybody knows if you're learning Torah or not. You learn Torah, you learn Torah, you didn't learn Torah, mm-hmm. okay, you get Amunah, yeah, I got Amunah. What does it mean Do you have a Muna? What does it mean to you have Amunah? Emunah means that you've got a smile on your face. And our sages, our, our sages our, our are Pirkei Ovis, We learn all summer long Pirkei Ovis. Okay. Sameach Bachelko, Sameach Bachelko. You happy? What's, why is Sameach Bachelko happy with one's lot in life, a barometer of Emunah? Because the first thing in the Rambam, I'll give you an example. People know tractates by heart. They don't know the 13 principles of the Rambam by heart. We live this. Okay, the first prince of the Rambam, I believe with full and complete belief that Hashem, blessed be his name, he's creator and director of every little thing, and he alone, who levado, also oisev yas, the kolom be alone did, does, and will do everything. Okay, so if you believe that Hashem did do and will do everything, and who is the Hashem that does everything, that's a Vinu Shabbat that's a loving father in heaven, and he loves us more than a, a physical parent would love the child the best parent in the world a zillion times, that's no brainer that Hashem's going to do everything for the best. And this is what uh, Nahomish Gamzu tells us in the Gemoran Tan. he's everything for the best. it Tova, Gamzu Tova, Gamzu Tova, And it's just so important. Here's a, a Bam Kasha. Rabbi Akiva, who's the father of the oral Torah, he passed it down to Rabbi Meir Balanes who codified the language and he passed it down to Rabbi, Rabbi Udansi, that codified the Mishnah. And then the Gemara comes from the Mishnah. It all started with Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Akiva is the one who arranged the Sidorim, the the orders of the Mishnah. Rebbe Akiva learned from the two greatest Tanoim that the whole Torah comes from Rebbe Yeshua ben Hananiah and Rebbe Yezer ben Horkanus. And the whole Gemara is an argument back and forth between Rebbe Lazar and Rebbe Yeshua. Okay. The Gemara in Tanis tells us that Rebbe Akiva left his two great Rebbe's. And he went to learn 23 years by Nachum Gamzu. Yaakov, what's it? There's one halacha in all of Shas from Nachum Gamzu. One halacha, and 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 the rest, the whole of Shas comes from Reb Yeshua and Reb Lazar Ben Orkin, Reb Lazar Gadol. Why did Reb Akiva do that? We see throughout the Gemara I to talk about this for hours, Rebbe Kiva had more emuna than anybody. He went to Nachum Ishkanzu to learn emuna. And that's why Nicomor Brokhas when we learn on A Air Yom Kippur and the Romans are flaking raking his flesh and the worst, worst torture they can imagine. And Rabbi Akiva's smiling. And the students said, Rabbi, what's with it? And he says, I've waited all my life. Waited all my life where I could serve Hashem with all my heart and all my might. And now they have the ability, I'm not gonna be happy. This was his Amuna, the rake of his flesh, the most unbelievable, unspeakable, indescribable torture. And he's got a smile on his face. That's Amuna. And Rabbi Akiva, remember when he was with Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Gamliel, the greats, and they saw the fox come out of the Holy of Holies and destroy Jerusalem, and they all cried. And Rabbi Akiva laughs. Rabbi Akiva laughs. They say, what, well, Rabbi Akiva, how can you laugh? He says, how can you cry? He says, but do you see, look at the clothes. She says, well, this. if this prophecy has been fulfilled, then the prophecy that Hashem is going to rebuild Yerushalayim and Eretz Yisrael and bring mashiach that's going to be fulfilled too. His whole outlook on life was Amuna. everything emuna, Emunah. And that's why Rabbi Akiva became the father of Torah. And now we can understand why his 24,000 students died. They didn't respect one another. Why? If you've got Muna, you know, hey, listen, uh, I, Jack Lager can't take anything that belongs to Laser Brody and Laser Brody can't take anything that belongs to Jack Lager, So you might as well act like brothers and help one another. Okay, and these were, this is with Amunah. With Amunah, you love everybody. With Amunah, you help everybody. Okay, with Amunah, you're not in competition. With Amunah, you're not jealous. And that's why they were replaced. Who would they replace by the 24,000? Rabbi Meir Balanes, Reb Shimon Bar Yochai. as much as he's Machmir and Nistar, and Kedusha stuff, he's Mekel and Nigla. He's the one that loves every. Just obviously throws off the charts. Rebbe Yudabar Elay, Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, Reb Yossi ben Khalafta, these five great students. These, uh, and from them comes the, the, the renewal of, of Torah. So the whole renewal of Torah is based on Emunah. That's why without the munah I don't have the Torah. And that's my explanation why Rabbi Akiva left his two rabbis to learn by Nacho Kamzu
1: it's really beautiful um, I, I know we could sit and, and t- discuss this subject for another eight hours easily but I want to get to my, my end questions and then we'll, we'll discuss uh, where more people could find you my first question is if there was one person in history that you could spend an hour with and chapa shmooze maybe observe them uh, talk to them who would it be?
0: number one David Melech number two Rabbi Akiva why them two? Because they're muna,
1: They're amuna, closest okay. to
0: Hashem. They're closest to Hashem. Uh, people say, why is Muna so important to you? I say, you know something, there's different types of doctors, there's physiologists and there's oncologists and and there's a different type of rabbis, there's shul rabbis and yeshiva rabbis. They say, what kind of rabbi are you? I say, I'm an immunologist." Okay.
1: Immunologist. okay, maybe that'll be the title for this uh, episode of Laser Brody the Uh <laughs> I, I ask people this question I think I might know your answer already but I'm still going to ask it is there one particular mitzvah that means more to you than all the other mitzvahs?
0: I am the Lord your God that's a mitzvah of All go back that's the whole ball game why do I say that? okay tefillin imagine a zero on a check Shabbos a zero on a check Kashrut a zero and a check family purity is zero and a check Chesed is zero in a check. Keep it a clean tongue, zero in a check. So you've got all these zeros. But if you don't have a one on the left side of that check, uh you could have a a check for a hundred zillion dollars. But if there's no one on the left side of the check, it's all these zeros. So if you've got all these zeros, all these mitzvahs and Noah and Mona, and you don't believe that Hashem is with you, and don't believe Hashem hears your prayers, and don't believe she sends running the world, then it's not worth it. That's why. I picked the number one emuna, and that's the first mitzvah the first commandment
1: I love that that example because there's definitely I wouldn't say everyone but there's definitely times in life where you know you meet someone and they're a massive Talmud Chacham and, and they're doing everything that you think they should be but then they're like I, I don't know they're just not a nice person or they're ah davening's not so important and be like well, something's like very off with them you're like it's maybe stemming from this idea that they don't have proper of like knowing why they're doing what they're doing like what's it what's it all we're here to study Torah just for the knowledge of it like that's that's it that's the point of it you know
0: no no it's studying Torah so we're never angry we're always happy because if a person's angry anger is a statement that that individual doesn't like the way Shem's running the world the right. and when a person is happy. So, how can a person, you know, and, and and look at another human being with a skewed face and you know upset face? That other human being, that's Hashem's creation too. So, look for the. The, 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 the Gemara says that uh, that's one of the Chachamim. What, what do you say nice about a dead dog? Look how white its teeth are. Right. Like, you know. You know. But that's a moon, That's all.
1: What's what's the best advice that you've ever received?
0: The best advice that I've ever received is to learn to put my intellect, my brains aside and to listen to the spiritual guide I trust, listen to my rabbi. And I knew this I knew this not from the side of a Muna, I knew this from the my army experience. You do stuff, you get a command. This thing is Israeli army. You don't protest a command until you first com, first execute the command and then you don't like it, then you protest it. But huh? uh, I, I was lucky, I was lucky, at least in, in reserves. In reserves, I was lucky that I had a fantastic commander. We did a lot of years together, went through a lot together and it was fire and water and I was his right hand I David Second, I was his I was his, his uh company sergeant, my company commander. My company commander later became the battalion commander. And uh we it was fire and water and never asked questions. Never asked questions. And if I figured this way, I learned Kava Homer. Afterwards, it took me a long time to find the Rebbe. It took me a long time. We've been together for twenty six years now. And but the, the two important Rebbes in my life, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz from Esha Torah and the Melitzer Rebbe here in Ashdod. either one on both of them that uh, I put my brains aside, I put my brains aside and that is also in the Torah, Vayamino B'Shem Moshe Avdo I believe in the Rebbe just today I asked the Rebbe a question where my logic would scream out that otherwise the Rebbe told me the exact opposite of 180 of what my logic told me and I did what the Rebbe said, and it came out pff, smelling like a rose it, it <laughs> it, it's,
1: it's like nasa vanishma it's kind of like nasa vanishma
0: exactly it is it exactly is nasa vanishma
1: mm-hmm. wow, wow, that's incredible so for for people that want to hear more of you or or your ideas or talking about amuna uh where could they go I, I think I saw i don't know is your website named laser beam okay it's called laser beams, but it's i on love that.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, a it's called name. Laser Beams. And you get there, you get there by going either to laserbeams.com.
1: Mhm.
0: And you can also get there by going to laserbrody.com. Okay? And then I have a, my podcast.
1: Yeah, Amuna, Amuna Beams, right? Amuna Beams. Amuna
0: Beams. That's amunabeams.com.
1: So what okay? uh, your podcast? What do you what what do you discuss on your podcast?
0: Okay, my podcast is usually uh, it's usually two broadcasts a week sometimes more maybe a short one a third short one but uh, every thursday is the amuna hour which is live on zoom wednesday night for anyone who wants to participate on uh our our live zoom we do it by invitation only because if i once publicized on facebook and i got so many got nazi spammers and it was crazy Uh-oh. what went on well, it did that. Okay, so if you go on to laserbeams.com, and you'll see subscribe, and you subscribe to the to the website, you get all the news of the website. And you get a personal invitation to our Zoom Amuna hour every week. Okay, and then the replay of that—that's one of on the podcasts. The replay of the Amuna hour, and then the other one uh, is usually a body and soul. We have what's called Brody meets Brody, uh, a distant cousin by Menachem Brody. It's very true. It here, I'm I'm 73. Look at that. Okay, still, thank you Hashem, in good shape. Yeah, you don't is, look
1: 73 at all.
0: No, that, that, that when I I don't perform 73. Bull thank you Hashem, and right. it's all just like my body orientation is so that I could serve Hashem. That's all. It's not so, you know, to to maintain the six pack abs or anything <laughs> like that. It's the just to serve Hashem. Menachem Brody is a olympic bicycle and triathlon coach okay he was on the all-star pit on the cycle team and he's a cycle coach in the u.s and he's, a, he's, a, he's got tour de france guys he's really good strength cycle and triathlon coach and menachem and i get together once a month and we make about every month about four vids for body and soul and it's a contrast menachem six three and big and strong, and you know, laser. I'm a, I'm a scrawny little guy,
1: <laughs> 100,
0: 150 sopping wet, and uh, about <laughs> shrunk a little bit. You know, it's, it's with the age. I, I used to be 5'9, I'm probably about 5'8 and a half, maybe 5'8 now. Okay, but Bor Hashem, it's an interesting contrast, an interesting play here. Menachem, good guy, Tel Aviv guy, clean shaven, and uh, laser looking like the way he does. But yet, <laughs> you know, we love each other, we got an Amuna connection. And body and soul, and so that's that's usually that's usually on Sunday, and then during the week another little bit of chizuk or something like that. So
1: amazing, and and uh, if there's a book, I know you wrote a few books. If there's a book for I have our, our few
0: books, that's one one of the reasons people say. But as to what I left, Rav Sholem, uh, I had so much of my own to do, so much of my own to deliver, and uh, it's like uh, instead of, imagine you're assistant coach at Cornell, okay, and then they offered to be head coach at UCLA for five times the money. Well, it's not right. the money, okay, but I chose to be my own my own particular uh, aspect, and I'll give you an example, Yaakov. Uh, Rav Shalom, he's got a tremendous yeshiv and a tremendous koilal. And he's got he's got to feed two hundred and fifty karo guys, and the yeshiva has got to make money, and this and that. That's not understandable. He's got an institution. I don't care about making money. I care about bringing souls to Hashem. And so what I do, I I sell my books inexpensive, and I go. I, people understand what I do, and uh, people help me out financially. And when I go to speak, I don't, I don't charge speakers' fees. I don't charge stuff like that. People don't have to pay for muna. And that's why I go all over the world. This is things that I dreamed of doing. Not to have my hand in anybody's pocket, but to have my hand in their neshama. Help bring their neshama close to Hashem. Okay, and that's it. And these are things I dreamed of doing. So in the last four years, I've I wrote these inspirational books. Uh, one is Path to Your Peak, How to Get Your Own Personal. I think one is called Bitochen, Bat Bitochen. Another is Three Words of Amuna. That's a little booklet that explains Enal nevado Another is the 13 Principles of Muna, explains 13 Principles of Muna eye level. Now there's Divine Direction, explains all about Hashkara Pratis, the eye level. And then two larger books, uh, The Trail to Tranquility, Old Eyes' the Trail to Tranquility, that, uh, that wrote from my experience in the prison. You know, I get Muna getting guys off of anger and get eyes off of killing each other. People have anger problems, this helps them. And then there's Hasidic Pearls, which is uh, Hasidic stories, my own original parables for the Shabbos table. And working on another one now. Uh, latest one, by hope uh, I'll be finished with this week. It's called the Language of Amuna. It's all about personal prayer, how to talk to Hashem, how to connect to Hashem in your own language, things like that. So you could the, the books are also if you go on on uh, Laserbeams.com. At the top, there's a toolbar that says Books, and you can click on that. Uh, if you don't want to buy on Amazon, and you want to buy in bookstores in New York. Got good news. The Alif Ad distributors in Lakewood and Muncie, uh, as of this week, the books started appearing in Eichlers and Burmans and. Oh wow! Amazing. Yeah.
1: So. Amazing. You yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely link uh, Laserbeams.com and and uh, yeah, highly. Uh, recommend anyone to go if they like podcasts to check out your podcast I've definitely listened to a bunch of episodes um, I, I listened you were on my good friend Mayor K's podcast and I've always heard about you but after that episode I'm like I need to speak to you and he gave me your contact and um, I, I'm glad that we were, we were able to do this and it was my great pleasure. I, I, I learned my a pleasure. lot of, and it's one of the episodes that I, I think I'm gonna need a chazer. I think there's so many gems that you've said in here that I, I really need like Amun is the source and, and uh, the, the more I remember that and think about that it, it really will make a difference in my, in my okay, life I
0: want to tell you something Yaakov you're doing great stuff and Thank I'm you. proud of you and I Thank love you. everybody my brother in arms to anybody that's uh, doing the things like you're doing and uh, it would be a pleasure to do it it's just a matter of you know we're syncing our time schedules and uh, across the sea we'll do it uh, maybe we can get together I have an upcoming trip to America I'm going to be coming to the USA in Elul Doing a round of chizuk. Going to be doing two big women's shiurim in in L.A. And they're going to be a shiur in Scottsdale and one in Phoenix, be in Arizona. And come back to New York, there will be a big shiur in Queens with Chazak on 9-11. And 9-11 is in New York, and the title of that shiur is going to be Amuna Wins. Okay, (laughs) all prepared. And then on the way back home, we're going to be doing a shiur in London. So uh, who knows, maybe we could see each other in New York.
1: Incredible. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. Again, Rabbi Laser Brody, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My greatest
0: you. pleasure. Have a great Shabbat. And Hashem should help you be successful in everything you do.
1: Amen. Thank you so much for listening or watching this week's episode. Go ahead and check out Rub Brody's podcast. It's it's phenomenal. I'll, I'll share a link in the show notes. And I, this is a, a common problem that I feel in my life that... I go through struggles, I go, I'm human, we have always have things, we always have challenges and this idea of just having the proper amunah betachin just makes, it's like glasses, like going through life without glasses and you put on the glasses, you're like, wow, I can see clearly now, the rain is gone and so yeah, I, I really, really personally enjoyed this episode and if you didn't yet, check out the OU's brand new project, all about L, tapping in getting to the source you don't need to be yeshiva Bacher. you just need to be someone who wants to grow go ahead and check out the link in the show notes it's, it's phenomenal I, I've listened already to a few of the Sharm. they're amazing they're incredible check it out and rate us five stars get ready for next week I'm not going to spoil it a very exciting person thank you for all your love and support I'm out have a l'chaim living l'chaim